break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out 22nd of September 2021. Very happy to be back with you here on the show, and we've got plenty for you here on the show. We're going to be talking about some of the real pain being faced by workers behind the unemployment benefit cut. We're going to be talking about a new report that is evaluating the eviction moratorium. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we're going to be talking about how there are tens of millions, in fact, hundreds of millions of children around the world going without proper nutrition. Well, as the United Nations Food Systems Summit convenes this week, UNICEF has released a new report, Fed to Fail, that's the title, which details that, quote, the percentage of children consuming the minimum recommended number of food groups fell by a third in 2020 compared to 2018, with, quote, two in three children, two in three, between the ages of six months to two years, not getting the nutritious diets they need to grow up healthy. And the report goes on to note that, quote, an estimated 149.2 million children have stunted growth and 340 million children under five suffer from deficiencies in vitamins and other essential micronutrients. And in terms of the regional breakdown, they note that, quote, almost two thirds of children aged six to 23 months, so six months to two years, basically, in Latin America and the Caribbean are fed a minimally diverse diet. So the bare minimum in terms of having a nutritious diet, and that is compared with less than one in four young children in Eastern and Southern Africa, 24%, South Asia, 19%, and West and Central Africa, 21%. The other way to put that would be in South Asia, 81% of children between six months and two years old are not getting properly nutritious food. In West and Central Africa, it's 79%, East and Southern Africa, 76%, and in Latin America, 38% of children between six months and two years old are not getting a properly nutritious diet. And the UNICEF report goes on to note that within countries, the disparity between the urban and the rural is significant, noting that, quote, the percentage of children fed a minimally diverse diet is almost double in urban areas than in rural areas, 39% to 23%. And in addition to just nutrition alone, the report noted that 53% of the world's children between six months and two years old 53% are not getting three meals a day. Why is this happening? Well, in a word, capitalism. As the report notes, quote, the relatively high cost of nutritious foods is one of the greatest obstacles to families. Almost 80% of mothers in the focus group discussions reported that they struggle to afford nutritious foods for their children. When income is limited, families tend to prioritize the frequency of feeding and fuller stomachs over the quality of food for their young children. And one interesting fact the report notes is that even in farming families, 
There is an increasing reliance on purchased food, which speaks to the abject failure of massive corporate agriculture to feed the world, although it has wreaked havoc on smallhold farmers around the world, which is why we have this problem. And on top of that, the neoliberal development policies foisted on the global south by Western nations have also meant capacity development for agricultural systems is very poor, meaning that, as the report itself states, quote, Shortages in national supplies, seasonal scarcities, and poor road infrastructure continue to constrain physical access to nutritious foods, particularly in rural sub-Saharan Africa, in remote settings, and in countries affected by climate shocks or conflict. And physical access is also a barrier to poor urban communities where there are fewer shops selling nutritious foods and limited demand for these foods. What a sad commentary when you really look at it all on the state of the world we're in, where there's actually enough food and ability to produce enough food for everyone. Yet a majority of the world's children are failing to be given the proper nutrition they need to have a healthy life. Researchers at Eviction Lab who track evictions nationwide, have produced a new report analyzing the impact of the eviction moratorium put in place by the CDC in various states and localities to get a sense of how much the pandemic has differed from the average in terms of the number of evictions that are filed. And the period that they evaluated stretched from September 4th of 2020 to July 31st of 2021. And in the top line of the report, they note that, quote, we observed 368,398 eviction filings across the jurisdictions we monitor, and this represents less than half as many eviction filings, 47.2%, as we'd expect over the same period in a typical year. And then they went on to analyze 31 cities, six full states, and estimated that, quote, the CDC moratorium helped to prevent 1.5 million eviction filings nationwide. And they also then used a little statistical analysis to expand that out to areas where there is less full data that ultimately the whole picture would be about 89% of all rental households. And the report goes on to detail that, quote, in total, we estimate that federal, state, and local policies help to prevent at least 2.45 million eviction filings since the start of the pandemic, end quote. Now, regionally, they also noticed that while evictions were down everywhere, it was certainly more marked some places rather than others. They note that, quote, in some areas, eviction filing rates were close to the historical average, meaning that the CDC order had little, if any, effect on eviction patterns. In Las Vegas, filings were at 91% of the historical average overall, though they were considerably lower between December 15, 2020 and May 31, 2021, when local protections were in place. Filings were above 75% of average in all three sites that we track, they track, in Florida, as well as Columbus, Ohio. But by contrast, the filings were below 12% of the historical average in Austin, Texas, and the Twin Cities, that's Minneapolis-St. Paul up there in Minnesota, where state and local governments adopted stronger protections. And Eviction Lab goes on to detail how their analysis reflected another trend in evictions that they have found over time, over studying this for a number of years, and that is that a handful of areas within cities tend to have the most evictions year after year. They particularly spotlighted Tampa, where the vast majority of the neighborhoods that are in the top 25%, basically, of where all the evictions happened, they more or less all stayed the same in Tampa, despite the CDC moratorium. And they also go on to note, and this is perhaps relatively unsurprisingly here, that there is a clear racial disparity in the eviction filings. Black people make up 13% of the country, 22% of all renters, but they represent 33% of all eviction filings. 
And the eviction lab report also indicated that the early evidence does seem to reflect that the moratoria did play a role in slowing down the spread of COVID-19, detailing that, quote, in the first few weeks after a state's moratorium was lifted, COVID-19 incidents and death begin to increase relative to states that maintain their moratoria. All in all, it's clear that while the eviction moratoria were not a panacea, they did significantly reduce the number of evictions, as one would expect, and as was hoped, seemed to have helped slow the growth of the virus, which, if nothing else, reflects the fact that with the Delta variant still surging, the moratoriums were lifted far too swiftly, the negative consequences resulting from that are, and were, totally avoidable. Well, speaking of pandemic-era programs that were ended too soon, one of those was absolutely the pandemic-era unemployment insurance boost at one time $600, then later $300 extra over the normal unemployment payouts. And the program became quite contentious over the summer because employers started to claim that unemployment benefits were keeping people from reentering the workforce, that people were just hanging out, living high off the hog rather than getting back to work. Now, as we, among many others, noted at the time, there was actually no evidence at all that this was the case. In fact, the opposite and the most notable factor that showed this was the lowest wage job categories where ostensibly workers got the most benefit from the expanded unemployment program were, in fact, the fastest growing categories of jobs. The Economic Policy Institute has done some new research that offers really just a different way of looking at the same facts and coming to the same conclusion. Well, looking at different facts and coming to the same conclusion, I should probably say. They note that, quote, early state-level unemployment terminations significantly reduced total incomes and consumer spending. The study found that benefit losses following these early terminations led only to the smallest boost in job finding. Earnings from work rose by only $14 per UI recipient per week in states that cut off benefits. But weekly unemployment income fell by $278 for an average weekly net income loss of $264 per recipient. So just to walk through that for you here, if cutting off benefits significantly boosted employment, what you would expect is that average earnings would in fact be up fairly significantly per recipient and that certainly there shouldn't be a net loss almost equal to the amount of money that the person lost in benefits. And you can see this in maybe a better way overall as they note that, quote, total annualized incomes of those previously receiving pandemic unemployment benefits will fall by $144.3 billion as a result of these cuts. And as a result of falling incomes, annualized consumer spending will fall by $79.2 billion. So again, same principle here. If unemployment benefits being cut off was having some big employment boost, which is what was predicted by those saying, get rid of the benefits, then why are earnings and spending down significantly? Now, there is one other potential partial explanation, and that is, more people were forced back into work, but into seriously poverty wage jobs. Now, of course, this can't be discounted, but it seems far more likely that these numbers reflect the fact that people aren't actually being pushed back into work in huge numbers because there isn't as much work as people are saying there is. And that, in fact, they're still being forced to rely on all sorts of ways to try to make ends meet as they continue to look for stable or employment period. But with less overall money, they then are, of course, spending less, have less, saving less, and so on and so forth. Either way. The issue is clear enough. From a range of different metrics, unemployment benefits were not holding back people from working, and cutting them off early is only hurting millions of workers and the broader economy. 
that's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 